As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. This week's episode of the Platinum Sabrero podcast is brought to you by the Department of Sequel Control. If you feel like you deserve better than White Chicks 2, Leprechaun in Space, and Jason Takes Manhattan, good news. Our organization is already working to ensure that box office tanks like these never get made in the first place. Because you shouldn't have to suffer through a 15th Fast and Furious movie, or be subjected to yet another remake of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And you know as good as I do, there was never any reason to make Boondock Saints Part 2. Once we establish time travel, we'll go back to 2009 to make sure that Avatar never gets made, and will save you from the four sequels which are currently in production. Also, coming this fall, the Department of Sequel Control, Part 2. Patent pending. Fifty-one thousand plus on their feet. Nobody's left to beat the traffic tonight, I guarantee you. Mark gets the sign. The wind and the pitch, here it is. Long, fly ball, deep left center, Grissom on the run. Yes, yeah, yes, yeah, yes, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. Say it louder, Brad, you yeah. giving you a championship. 25 lighters on my dresser, yes, sir. You know I got to get paid. High fly ball, belt to right center, and the Braves have won it. 25 lighters on my dresser, yes, sir. Swing and drive, bounce it right, welcome to the show! Now get ready, this is the Platinum Sombrero Podcast with your hosts, Dylan Short and Adam Doc Herbert. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Platinum Sombrero, Doc and Dylan, brought to you by Armchair All-Americans and our friend at SeatGeek. SeatGeek.com is the number one place to find all of your ticket purchases online or through the phone app. SeatGeek has a revolutionary system where they can tell you just how good the seat you're purchasing is, and not just how good the seat itself is, they can tell you how good the price is, whether you're paying too much or too little for that seat, or maybe if you're selling a seat, they can let you know what's a good price to offer for that seat at that ballgame, uh, at that concert, whatever it is you like to go to, SeatGeek.com is the best place to go. Best thing is, if you use our promo code ACAA at the checkout, they're going to give you 20 $20 off your first purchase. That's like two beers at a stadium. That, that's that's good money right there. Make sure you go to SeatGeek.com. Use our promo code ACAA. SeatGeek, life's an event, and we have the tickets. All right, so we're excited to bring you this show today for a couple reasons. There's uh, some good things and some bad things to talk about. But more importantly, we've got our first player on the show this season, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. And it's a guy that we've both wanted to talk to for a while. Uh, we've heard a ton of good things about this player. We've got the Rome Braves and one of the newest members of the Braves top 30, by the way, Justin Dean. Justin, thanks so much for coming on. Thank you guys for having me. I appreciate it. Definitely a pleasure to get you on. And uh, very curious, uh, as of right around the time that we booked you to come on the show, uh, you kind of went on a little bit of a hot streak. Uh, saw a uh, home run, a couple doubles, a couple triples in there. And uh, then the next thing you know, you wound up uh, on the IL. So I know most of the time teams will like to uh, keep that type of stuff hush-hush. But are you able to tell us uh, kind of what's going on? Are, are you okay? 
Oh yeah, I'm I'm all good. Um, yeah, sliding I was sliding in the second uh, end of the day. Unfortunately, I was out, but um, <laughs> sliding in the second, the shortstop came across the bag. You know, stepped on my hand, so uh, I just got a couple stitches in there, and uh, I'll be seeing the doctor tomorrow, and uh, I'll probably be rejoining the team uh, tomorrow in uh, Maryland. Oh, good, 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 good. I mean, you just Excellent. broke into the top thirty. We can't have you being out too long. Did you actually? Uh, did Did oh, yeah. you see when you broke in? Was it Was it kind of a cool moment for you? Yeah, I I didn't even you know know that the list was coming out, but my sister she DM'd the post to me on Twitter, and I was like, "What is this?" <laughs> and then you know my phone my phone started blowing up. So it was, it was a really cool moment. Teammates were proud. Family was proud. It was really you know really. Uh, blessing to see and uh see all the hard work starting to pay off now you get to have bragging rights with your good friend trey you got onto the list before him even if he might be at 28 right now you broke onto the list first did you give him any trash talk uh see the funny thing about me and trey he he had some jokes for me you know i showed up to the field you know there's top 30 there he goes (laughs) 31 times he's got got all types of jokes for me but now I guess he's got the bragging rights. I'm sure I'm going to hear about it when I get up in Maryland. I, I promise you, I hear about it. Now, when you're when you're looking at the list, you know you're in the, in the Braves farm system, which has been one of the top farm systems in the game for several years now. So even when you're at 29, that's that's much higher in most other organizations. So, um, yeah. when when you see that, do you kind of have that feeling of accomplishment, like? Like you said, but the hard work is starting to pay off. Does it get in your head at all, or, or is it just more more fuel for you? Uh, no, I, I know where I stand in the organization. I know how much talent we have, uh, top to bottom in the organization, in all positions, especially pitchers. You know, but um, yeah, I, I see it as I see it as a blessing. It's it's even it's an honor just to be ranked on it. You know, I could I could not be on it, so it's nothing but positive. And one of the cool things about having you on is. We heard a little bit about you last year when we had we had Brian Bridges on the show last year before last year's season even ended, and he actually name dropped uh-huh. about uh, some of the guys he was most excited to see and some of the unexpected guys, the guys for us to watch. And uh, he actually dropped you uh-huh. by name, so that that was actually the first time I ever heard you. That's, that's okay. I didn't I didn't know that. I didn't know he he knew who I was like that. So that's that's good to hear. Yeah, they've been raving about you ever since uh, pretty much since day one. But I, I am I am uh, also kind of curious. So you you were from South Carolina, if I'm if I'm not mistaken, and you went to college in uh, Hickory, North Carolina. So you're you're right yeah. in the heart of Braves country, pretty much. Did you grow yeah. up a Braves yeah. fan? I um no, not growing up. I was for some reason I was a Yankees fan. I don't know why. I just watched. I like to watch him play. I guess it was because of Jeter. But um, probably around ninth grade. I was like, you know why? Why don't I? Why don't I? Why don't I pull for the home team? So, probably about ninth grade, I started following the Braves, and ever since then, I've been a Braves fan. Who was your favorite player to watch? Um, Andrew Jones. I, of course, I tuned into him Attaboy. back in the day. But um, I, like, I love Andrew Jones. Right here for call, of course, Chipper. Um, Andrew Simmons was. I really liked him when he was here. It's a man after oh, my own and, uh, heart, right there. And I love when the Upton brothers were here. That was cool. You might be the first person we've ever interviewed that said he was a BJ fan. I'm a BJ Upton fan. I'm or Melvin. I'm sorry. I don't want to. I think I, I think it was the package deal that really got me. <laughs> okay. Okay. The up, up, and a hay thing. Yeah. Yeah. 
Okay. Well, we're going to throw you a little bit of a curveball here. Why don't you give us – we can all read scouting grades across all over the place, whether we're looking at fan graphs or a pipeline or wherever. I want to hear you give yourself a scouting breakdown. Tell us your grades. I'm talking about overall? Yeah, yeah. Tell us tell us how, how you would grade your offense, your defense, your speed, all the same stuff that people okay. throw out for you. Let me hear what you'd say about yourself. Okay. Okay. Um, I'd say my pop, is, my pop, as far as power numbers, is, is sneaky. I'm still figuring it out, but it, it's there. Um, I say they rate me. I think they have like near like a forty something or fifty something power. So I think that's accurate right now because it doesn't always show. But I think I'll be able to. I think I'll be able to, to tune that in and uh, refine that. My speed. I think they got me at like a eighty-eight. I'm gonna need that to come up. Uh, I think I'm faster than that. I think I'm faster than that. But um, at least they got some a little bit of respect on it. The uh, arm, I think the arm is better what, than what they think as well, but uh, I'm gonna get that stronger too. I think they got that, like a 45, something like that. I'm gonna need that. That's I'm gonna just, need that higher too. That's just gross disrespect. Um, you said what? Gross disrespect. Yes, exactly. We'll, we'll figure it out though. Um, I, I don't know what they have fielding as. I'm not, I'm not. I'm not sure what that is, but I think that's one of my best assets. So hopefully, it's pretty high. I've seen you make some Superman type catches out out in center field. I, I think that uh, you could put a pretty pretty high grade on the defense. Yeah, yeah, I I take pride in my defense. You got to give the body. You, you've made the uh, you did go oh. completely horizontal on a couple catches out there. Oh yeah, yeah, that's my motto: is sacrifice the body. I'm not, I don't care as long as you make the catch. You got to do it. Plus, it looks it looks really cool, and you know, as soon as you lay out for one when you make that catch, you know exactly how cool it looks too. Of course, of course. That's what you do it for. It's a great feeling. It's a great look. So, would you rather uh, would you rather make a diving catch like that, or would you rather hit Homer? Oh, <laughs> uh, I think I'd rather hit Homer. Okay, just because just because I just because I don't do it a lot, you know. Oh, uh, that's all right. You make the dive so often, and now it's just kind of mundane, a little bit boring. <laughs> Not mundane, but it's just. Uh, Homers are so exciting because they're so rare for me. So I can't help but get excited about them. Now you've had yourself a hell of a run so far just to start off this year. I mean, you got 13 stolen bases already, uh, just killing on the base pass. That's not too shocking. We talked about your speed, but you've been on base in 41 yeah. out of the 46 games this year. So your your plate discipline, you've you got a walk rate up over 10%. As a leadoff mm-hmm. hitter, that, that's not something you generally see in low A ball. Yeah. Was that stuff that um, uh, did you come in with that, or is that something that they kind of sat you down before even starting and said, "Hey, here's what we're going to work on"? Was that just something that you've always had? Uh, no, it, it's it's kind of something I'm, I'm tuning into and working on. I talked to uh, Terry Pendleton over a little bit over in, during the instruct. You know, we talked about you know what spot I'm in as a leadoff spot, what I got to do, and how much I need to be on base, and you know, how much of an asset I am when I'm on base to use my speed. So. Any way I can get on, you know, uh, laying bunts down, you know, drawing more walks. It's all, it all, it's all relative to me being on base and scoring runs. Is there anybody in particular that you model your game after? Is there anybody that you've always got kind of to strive to be like when you play? Um, I guess not like, not like in the past. I wasn't really trying to model my game, but like you know, recently, 
coming up, I guess, to like high school and then college. I, I like Josh Harrison, you know, similar body style, shorter guy. He can he, he can hit the ball. He can spray the ball everywhere. He can kind of show some pop. He's got some speed. Um, I would model it after Mookie, but he seems to just hit home run after home run. <laughs> so I don't know where that comes from. But I, re- I really like the way he plays, you know, as far as outfield goes and, and him being able to uh, spray the ball everywhere as well. Um, I also really like Bregman, just the way he, he, he hits the ball everywhere. And he hits it hard. But, um, no, I just kind of try to tailor to my skills and, and refine them as much as possible. Were you always an outfielder, or did you, do you have some infield in your past? Uh, I played infield, you know, like growing up. I played infield and outfield, of course. But as soon as I got to high school, my coach was like, hey, we need you speed in the outfield. So I played outfield ever since. Any regrets? Any other position that you wanted to have played? No. Uh, maybe if I... Could have played both in college. I don't know. Just keep my infield tool sharp. Maybe at second base or something like that. But I really enjoy the outfield. I really enjoy running and going into ball. So it's, it's cool out there. You don't want to go suit up and uh, get behind the plate, go catch a couple innings, anything like that? I'd probably retire if I had to do that. <laughs> <laughs> that's not my, I don't think that's my calling. All right, well, I, I got another interesting question. We've we've talked to a few different people, and we always kind of get different answers when we get this one. Uh, you're yeah. young enough to where you can you've seen a lot of these newer these newer styles of thinking, a lot of these analytics coming up uh, through high school for you. Do you put a lot of stock in those, or are you a traditional type of guy? You're talking about as far as like velocities go and stuff like that. Yeah, like like your exit velocities, your launch angles. Um, just uh, what, whatever it yeah, is that you get into um, as an analytic. No, nah, I'm, I'm not too big on that. I guess if I try to hit the ball hard and I do hit it hard, then that's what happens. I don't really, I don't really aim to hit the ball 100 miles an hour off of that. Of course, that's what I want to happen, but I don't, I don't necessarily think about it, you know. I um, I just I, I just started getting into, into more launch angles, um, I guess, for more ball flight, more backspin, stuff like that. But I don't, I'm not like a big, a big guru like that, so. I just try and go play. That's probably the, the best way to go about it. I mean, I, I I had to stop playing playing baseball when I was eleven because I just I was so so very terrible. But when I when I think about it, like trying to be in the moment and try and actually mm-hmm. implement those things, I would imagine that it's probably difficult to to keep that in in the front of your mind and be able to execute with that as well. Yeah, uh, some people you know train differently. Some people people's minds work differently. So. As far, as far as training goes, there's nothing wrong with that. But when it comes to the game, you know, you got to let all that go. You still have fun. I, I couldn't imagine going up to the plate and trying to crunch numbers in your head like that. I, no, you, I, I wouldn't be where I'm at if I, if I did that. Right, it's, it's just too much stuff going on. It, it makes it a little bit more difficult to react. That's that's one of those things. I'm a little yeah. bit older than you, so I did not quite get into that area. I was still in the area where uh, – <laughs> Like I think I'm about six years older than you, so I, I still had coaches uh, up until about uh, up until midway through high school that are telling you hit the ball on the ground, despite the fact that uh, yeah, you know, yeah. like hey, I, I was decent, but I'm not exactly a burner over here. Of course, <laughs> I mean you you've got the speed to make make that work though, hitting hitting the ball on the ground, yeah. that more traditional yeah. approach. Of course, yeah, that's not yeah, that's not my approach, you know, to hit the ball on the ground. But if I do hit the ball on the ground, then I've got and skate route. Hopefully, I can you know beat something out. We got another one, by the way. This is a big question for right now. With with the way this season in particular seems to have like this has been like the new crusade. Where do you stand on bat flips? 
I'm back to it. Yeah. Um, I don't really have I mean, I, I guess I do understand some of them are a little a little extra, but I'm not having a little fun with it. There's nothing wrong with admiring your work. Like the uh, the Derek Dietrich thing where he where he mashed the three straight. Was, were you, were you cool with that one? I love, I like Dietrich. He doesn't do much. He just watches it. Walks pretty slow and then gets going, but he doesn't do he doesn't do nothing, do nothing crazy. Cool. All right. So see, that's pretty on point. What about uh, what about Tim Anderson's where he grabbed the head of the bat and launched it at the dugout? Tim, I think uh, one. I mean, he's, he's a cool dude. I like the way he plays. I like the way he shows emotion on the field. Uh, when he hit the walk off and he threw it, that was dope. I guess if you hit it and you and you like didn't take the lead or something like that, then I can understand how you think it's a little a little tacky or something like that, but. Just a touch all extra. Do what you do, you know. Now that's pro- probably bad form to bat flip when you're when you're down seven to two. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. A fourth inning you, bat you flip. You had to go ahead, Homer. Do what you want. What about uh, what about pitcher retaliations? Okay, uh, hitting the guy after after he pimps one. Yeah, yeah, or just throwing at a guy. Period. So, like uh, for Atlanta, when when Gosman threw behind uh, Jose Urania. Uh huh. Uh huh. Okay, well, Urena hit Acuna, right? Mm-hmm. You know that's coming. You know what you're going to get there. But um, as far as like retaliation off homers, uh, I guess if you're a pitcher, you better not show any emotion once you you know strike a guy out or anything like that. You can't give a guy a reason to bat with you. Uh, I per- I personally, I guess it's been a part of the game for for so long that um, I guess it's going to be hard to get away from it. I don't want to get hit by a pitch. That's just me. On purpose. Uh, I I can respect that. It's one of those things where I, I kind of yeah. think it's become this new weird crusade where, like, people kind of forget that it kind of depends on where you get hit with the pitch, to like how yeah. you know you get some people that act like you're putting somebody in a hospital if you hit him in the thigh, yeah. or hit him in the butt yeah. with, with a fastball. You know, yeah. it's not quite the same thing. But uh, I, mm-hmm. I'm totally with you. If you're a pitcher that likes to likes to do the Marcus Stroman, likes to do the shoulder shimmy, mm-hmm. uh, and then you get mm-hmm. a bomb, you, you got to be cool with it. You're gonna get it. Just 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 be be aware of that. You got to know that going into it. And as far as like you know, pitches, if you got to protect your guy, you got to protect your guy. That's what I'm saying. You protect your guy. Hit hit the guy in the hit. Hit the guy in the torso, whatever. But we don't have to go towards the head. That's we can we can chill on that. It's a rational take. I appreciate that. So, I, I uh, I'm curious about when uh, when you start looking at what you've done so far this season. Okay, so we we talked about the walk rate. We we talked about um, how how the the power's coming, the Superman defense, the on base. I mean, you're doing all the right stuff. So, do you start looking up at how maybe the outfielders and the next level up in Florida are doing, or how the outfielders in Mississippi are doing, and say, you know? I can. I know. Um, <laughs> no, not really. Um, as far as it goes, I got to handle business, handle business where I'm at, you know. And I can't control none of that. Once you start trying to control everything, then you start playing bad or whatever. You know, baseball's baseball's gonna be baseball, you know. And if a guy above me is struggling, it's, that's just the name of the game. Some people are gonna go through stretches. People are gonna be high. People are gonna be cold. But. I can only handle business at the level that I'm at and worry about the next one when I get there. 
That's a very professional sounding answer. Yeah, you're so rational. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm expecting some some crazy hot take on the other end. You're you're just rebuffing no. everything. No, that's great. No, that's great. it's really good to know. Yeah, I'm trying to say that because Trey Trey gets mad at me because I'm so rational. I'm, I'm sorry. Sorry, I think <laughs> we'll, we'll have to have him on after this, and we'll ask him the same uh, same round of questions we're asking you. But yeah, uh, yeah. do that. You'll, you'll enjoy. You've got you've got some really cool things that can happen the further in your the further along you go. You're from how? What is it pronounced? Uh, Lenoir Rhine? Is that the college? Uh, Lenore. Lenore. Lenore Rhine. Lenore Rhine. Yeah. You've got the potential to be the first player ever from Lenore Rhine to actually make it pro. Do you actually think about that? Is it actually in your mind at all? Um, it, it was like when I got drafted, I was like, wow, I'm like one of the first division players to go out of here. Uh, you know, a couple of tweets came up and I was the first middle run player to, to play in a big league game, you know, spring training. So it, it's all cool. Um, regardless if I'm the first or not, you know, I, I want to, I want to do it not only for LR, but you know, for me, it's uh, a personal goal of mine and it'd be cool to represent the school up there. And I'd imagine that that's not like having to go to Lenore Ryan. Did you have any bigger offers or was that kind of the biggest one you got? Uh, no, I, uh, I got an offer from Lenore Ryan. I don't even, I don't even know if I would consider the offers from another school from Newberry. Um, it was just in the same conference, but, um, my best friend committed to Lenore Ryan before me. And before that, I had never heard of it. And when he committed, I was like, where in the world is that? Why would you go there? <laughs> and then my high school, then my high school coach, you know, gave me a uh, a pamphlet to their last their last little workout of the uh, of the spring. And so I went up there and pressed the coach. Got a walk on spot. Wait a then, minute! Whoa, whoa, whoa! You got a walk on spot from an open showcase? Yeah, yeah. They were like they were like full. Uh, really? Well, it, uh, it was like a camp, you know. That's impressive. That is. I know how hard it is yeah. to show out in a camp with that many people around you get like three at bats and they start you off on like a three two count i know how hard it is to impress yeah. people there that's impressive i appreciate that so not just having the opportunity to come out of a, a smaller school like that and being being the first to to make it to the bigs it's mm-hmm. honestly it's it's hard to to read a scouting report about you that doesn't mention the same thing over and over you shorter guy mm-hmm. from from a smaller school and you spent your entire career proving your doubters wrong. So, we'll, so yeah. despite the fact that you are obviously an incredibly rational human being, do you feel like you have a bit of a chip on your shoulder uh, about that? And, and I know you said that you can't control anything else that's going on around yeah. you, but is, does that really drive you? Oh yeah, that's that's a big fuel to the fire. You know, um, not only you know to them, but to me. You know, I, I see it, and I'm like, you know, and I see the the big leagues. I see these huge dudes. You got Aaron Judge and and Stanton and guys like that dominating the league, but um, you also guys got, got guys like Bregman and Altuve and Mookie. Like you don't have to be huge, you don't have to be this, that, and the other. I mean, JD Martinez went to to Nova Southeastern. I'm pretty sure is one of the D two schools down in Florida, but uh, or Tampa. And um, you know, so I just I try to I try to uh, let use that to motivate me and you know push me to the next level. Next time anybody mentioned your size, just mention that you're about the same height as Chris Davis, and he seems to hit 47 homers every year. Dude, that's crazy. I, I don't even see him as that small. I didn't think so either he until he's, he's listed at like 5'8", five, 5'9". Five, 
Oh, that's, that's encouraging. <laughs> if he can hit balls like 500 feet. He's got some uh, some pretty rocking hair under there too. Oh yeah, I, I think I think I'm gonna get something like that too. Are you, you gonna <laughs> go with the shaft afro? Ah, uh, maybe not the afro. I might I might twist it up, dread it up. We'll see. Mm, okay. I got something cooking. All right. Well, I'm gonna have to. Now I'm really intrigued. Uh, but you, <laughs> mentioned, you mentioned the chip on your shoulder. I actually really prefer the the chip on the shoulder type of players because that's that's something that's a motivation that I guess that stays with you an entire career. It's not like you know I want I want to yeah. get that first paycheck or whatever. Once you get that paycheck, yeah. then you got to kind of reassess in the middle of your career. Like, how do you get motivated again? A lot of guys have a lot of mm-hmm. struggles with that. When you get that that chip on mm-hmm. your shoulder, it's kind of always there. Yeah, it's nothing. Uh, nothing against guys who have who had the attention since high school. You know, got drafted out of high school, went to big D one schools. But um, yeah, like you said, this is just a, a constant motivator. I've always been small. I've always had to prove to a coach what I can do so he can start me. I've always had to prove to a coach what I can do so they can recruit me. But um, you know, so I'm I'm just keep doing what I've been doing and prove to who I got to prove to move up a level, move up a level here, move up a level there until I get to the big leagues. I like that answer. Now we're going to get into some of the fun questions for us. Who's the nasty, right. who's the nastiest dude you faced in a ball? Nastiest dude I faced this season. This season or, uh, what did you start out in last year after the draft? Did you go straight, did you go straight to uh, Danville. Danville. Okay. Who's, who's the nastiest yeah. dude you faced so far in your pro career? Uh, well, Danville last year, my first pro ball game playing, playing against the Yankees and this dude, I don't know his name, but his last name is Medina. Louis Medina. Yeah. Yeah. I'm getting out there. I'm excited for my first pro ball game. And I see this guy yelling the mound and he pops in, you know, a hundred in the first inning. I'm like, Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> what, what did I get myself into? But, uh, he, he was pretty good. There's a uh, a starter for the Pirates. This is also in Danville. He was pretty good. I don't know his name, but I'm pretty sure he was a uh, like a top five round pick a couple of years ago. Um, there was a guy who won Pitch of the Month a couple times in uh, for the Orioles in Low A last year. He was pretty good. Um, yeah, I think that's about it. Surprised you don't know these names. I'd be circling those names if they got the better of no, no. I never pay attention to who it is. I just, like I said, I just go out there and play. I don't know who I'm playing really. I just go. I just go. I just try and go face them, go beat them. Maybe I'm just petty. I'd have to. I'd have to circle the name and be like, I'm coming for you next time. Yeah. I don't know. No, that's probably good though, because if you if you give too much time and say, Oh my God, I know this guy throws a hundred. The last time I saw him, Mm -hmm. yeah, I got blown away or something. Then it it can start to get in your get in your head a little much. So yeah, I, I try not to hype up the competition. What about guys on your on your own team? Like when, when you see see certain guys on your own team pitch, where you're like, "Man, I'm glad I don't have to face that guy." Yeah. Um, uh, yes. Uh, what's his name? De La Cruz, right? He's in Double A now. Yeah, Jaseel. He. Uh, yeah, yeah. He when he's on, goodness gracious. Especially right now, he's sitting like 96, 97. His all speed's good. He he threw a no hitter a couple weeks ago down in High A. And got moved up to Double A, so I wouldn't want to see him right now. Um, when Trey Riley's on, he's got a hard fastball. He's got a good slider. I wouldn't want to see him when he's on. Um, 
mainly the, uh, of course the older guys in our organization you know, of course the uh you know Wentz and and uh Muller Ian Anderson we got we got a bunch of dogs on the mound it's crazy one guy you didn't and, mention that uh, that we got to ask you about Victor Vodnik. This was one of Doc's first guys that he really keyed in on the draft last year. A dude that had no no pitching coach experience was learning slider grips off of YouTube. This year yeah. he's, he's pumping a hundred mile an hour. This year, I, I forgot about Victor Vodnik. I don't. You know, you know how surprised I was when I was in, in the field. I never seen the kid. But actually, I faced him in spring training. I got a hit, but it it wasn't. He wasn't throwing that in spring training. We get out there, I'm in Tennessee, and I look back at the gun, and he hit 100. I was like, what? Who is that? <laughs> but, but, yeah, he's he surprising a lot of people. I got people asking me about him, asking who he is and stuff like that. So it's crazy what he's doing right now at such a young age. So we'll see we'll see where his, where his career goes. There's, there's a lot about, of guys like that on, on that, that Rome roster. If, if you just look at names, there's not a lot of name value, but you start looking a little bit deeper into that yeah. roster, there's a lot of players that are doing yeah. a lot of things, not just you and Trey. Also, Andrew out mm-hmm. there in uh, – what's Andrew playing? Right field? Right field or left field? Uh, Mort, he, he's doing right and left, yeah. Yeah, just, just a dude that hit 400 for his college career. Uh, guy that yeah. looks almost like, uh, almost looks like a little Nick Markakis type where uh, it's not yeah. necessarily yeah, mashing homers, but – does a little bit of everything. Yeah, yeah. You know, we got we got a lot of sleepers. That's the um, it, like you said. Not there wasn't before the season. There wasn't too many prospects on the team. Now we have what three. So we can we got, we got a skill set. We just we got to prove it. Like I said, we got to we got to go out there and show them every day what we can do. I love it, man. Well, you're doing all the all the right stuff down there. Just keep up the good work. I know, I know. We promised we wouldn't take up too much of your time. I can't believe I can't believe we've been doing this for half an hour already. But before we before we let you get out of here, uh, tell everybody uh, where they can find you on Twitter and anywhere else you are. You say what now? One more time. Oh, just uh, b- before we uh, before we let you get out of here, tell tell everybody uh, your Twitter handle and uh, yeah, anywhere else that they can find you if, if they want to find you. Oh yeah, we got uh, on Twitter and Instagram. It's the same at b i g underscore p o p a a. Go ahead and hit the follow button. You won't regret it. <laughs> <laughs> and I got one more thing before you go. I'm gonna I'm gonna be that jerk and throw an extra question in here. Um, For sure. You and Trey, who who's who's more talented? You or Trey? <laughs> well, I can sing. I can dance. Uh, I look better. So I would say me. <laughs> Awesome. That's what I was looking for. All right. Justin, thank you so much for coming on, man. It was a blast. I appreciate it. I appreciate you guys having me. It was fun. Uh, we'll, we'll definitely have to talk to you again. Get better soon so we can start watching you tear up the base pads again, man. For sure. I'll be right, I'll be right back to it. Uh, really appreciate that. Everybody out there, make sure you're giving Justin a follow. Make sure you're tuning into what this guy's doing every single day down there. You're going to see his name a whole lot more in these top 30s. Justin Dean, everybody, thank you guys so much. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we are going to talk about some of the big league clubs and how uh, something did not quite turn out as well as we were hoping this week. When we come back right here on the Platinum Sombrero. This episode of the Platinum Sombrero podcast is brought to you by Bed Bath & Beyond Thunderdome, the everything store for all of your post-apocalyptic needs. Just because civilization has collapsed doesn't mean that your stylish sense of home decor has to. And remember, if you get 10 punches on your Extinction Loyalty card, you'll get priority seating on the next armored tank out of town. 
Our prices are so low, you'd never know that society is in the midst of a widespread catastrophic freefall. Shop Bed Bath & Beyond Thunderdome, where chaos enters and impeccable style leaves. Patent pending. Welcome back to the Platinum Sombrero. Thank you guys so much for sticking with us through today's episode. Hope you enjoyed the interview with Justin Dean. Really good guy. Really enjoyed talking to him. But before we get into too much further, I have to go ahead and and tell you about our sponsor, MyBookie.ag, the number one place to go for any and all online gambling, whether you like to bet prop bets, money lines, whatever it is, baseball, basketball, Stanley Cup playoffs, Stanley Cup finals, whatever it is, mybookie.ag has you covered. They've got all the easiest lines. If you're ever having a question, their customer service is easy to access and very good at their job. They're really, really good at explaining to, to you what the lines may mean, what a minus 115 means as opposed to a plus 125 and how you should go about it. If you want to bet on the prop bet, like if Ozzy's helmet falls off in the third inning tomorrow, I'm sure they've probably got a line for that. Mybookie.ag makes it just a little bit more fun when you're following your favorite sports. And if you use our promo code BRAVES25, they're going to give you 50% off your initial deposit. So if you deposit $100 when you sign up, they'll give you another 50 bucks. Make sure you go to mybookie.ag. Use the promo code BRAVES25, mybookie.ag. Play, win, and have a great time. All right. So the way Doc had this, this written up for the show sheet was uh, we were going to start off with Mike Fultonavich. Um, that Cardinal start of his, not good. Uh, I, I normally would have come in railing against him, but I'm going to throw a curveball here. And um, Kevin Gosman did not inspire a lot of confidence last night. There were a lot of really good feels. You know, they had, they had just made the announcement about the All-Star game and everything is happy and fun and everybody's scratching each other's backs and everything. And it took about seven minutes for the Nationals to bat around and all of the uh, all of the good feelings had kind of gone away there. I mean, the Fulte's first start against the Cardinals were the I think the final score was fourteen to three on that one. Uh, that one was not good, but the, the the redemption start was okay. But I mean, even even for as good as the starting pitching had been, Gossman looked. I mean, I'm trying to think of a brave starter who threw a worse game in the past couple of years uh, than than Gossman did last night. That was that was just Bad, that was horrifically bad. bad. I mean, that's yeah. You're talking about eight runs in one inning, all eight earned, with no homers giving up. Like it, that sounds almost like it would be impressive that he didn't give up a homer, but you just realize that he gave up eight runs in one official inning with no homers. And and it's easy to look at it and say, oh well, he was getting babbled to death, which he kind of was. The end game babbled was like. 800, but but it's not like dribblers here and there. It's like, oh, that one was just out of Dansby's reach, or or Marquegas almost had that one. It was getting squared up straight to center on, like, everything, man. He was getting demolished. And for the most part this year, the, the, the ERA doesn't line up with, with the FIP and some of, some of the other peripherals that he's got, but, man, that, that swung his numbers 
big time in the wrong direction last night. That was bad news. And it's one of those things, and I've talked about it before with guys like Gosman, guys that rely, and I talked about it in the Locked On episode yesterday, for those of you that listened, uh, for, for guys like Gosman that rely on sinkers or splitters, in Gosman's case a splitter, uh, or, or really just rely on pitches that drop, there has to be another pitch that's almost as good as that one. Otherwise, hitters can sit on that. When they know what the break is going to be, then it takes a lot of the guesswork out of it. It's not like a curveball where you have to deal with with vertical and horizontal movement. And it's not even like a sinker where you have to deal with a guy throwing it 94-95. Gosman's is a splitter, and he essentially throws it 82-84. to 84. So he throws it like a changeup. So guys have a little bit more time. And if Gosman's splitter is not on point, his fastball is really straight. Now, you can still throw at 95, which sometimes can get past people. But if you can only throw one pitch, you are not going to survive at the big league level. And unfortunately for Gosman, last night he had like half of a pitch. Yeah, and, and that's how you wind up getting chased after uh, after one-plus innings. And, and we haven't seen anything like that from him, really. Like, for the most part, he's at least – tends to be reliable, keep keep the Braves in the game. And, and every once in a while, you are just going to have a stinker. But uh, but and <laughs> after the night before, when it was the first time all season where we've seen Freed just kind of not have it, and we, you know, the Nationals, their struggles are very well documented. We know, we know how bad it's been for them all season. And you want to beat up on these teams? Like we talked about it with the Marlins. We talked about it with the Giants. These are the games you are supposed to win. We're supposed to beat the Nationals, and we got served bad. We got served big time. Like, and the the good news to take away from this is, even though it feels like we lost eight or nine games yesterday, we still only lost one. It only counts as one in the loss column. So, hopefully, the fact that we get to play a very bad Tigers team this weekend, hopefully we can get back into that mindset of these are the ones that you're supposed to win. Because after playing the Cardinals last weekend, that was a really good note to end on. Coming back from 3 nothing uh, down in the in the top of the ninth, facing a guy who's thrown 104, I mean, that's a good come-from-behind victory. So some of those good feelings might have might have worn off. But, uh, you know, like I said, it still only counts as one. It does, but not all, not all one-loss games are created equally, or not all losses are created equally. Uh, I think that's a good line to tell yourself to make it not as angry. But uh, last night sucked from the get-go. Gosman was horrendous. If you want some sort of silver lining, um, Austin Riley seems to be pretty good at this whole hit baseballs out of the ballpark thing. Uh, and in his first, what, his first 15 games, now he's done something that Freddie Freeman has not done in over 4,000 at-bats. Yeah, it took him 55 at-bats before he got his first career Grand Slam, and Freddie's hovering just below 4,600, and he's still... I think the only one he's ever hit was uh, was during this spring training, which obviously doesn't doesn't count for much. But you now, Riley, uh, we talked about it last week with, uh, with our buddy Clay Beck. I mean, this version of Austin Riley did not exist until a couple of weeks ago. And on this season, this was pointed out by another buddy of ours, uh, Dren, who we have, we have not had on the show... Christian Yelich is leading the majors with 21 home runs. Austin Riley has 22 home runs if you add up what he did in AAA and what he's done since he got to Atlanta. I mean, that's that's eye-opening. And the competition is different. It's obviously different, and it, and it doesn't count for quite as much. But, man, he's been special. Yeah, he's, he's doing really historic and impressive things. And it, he's doing it in different ways. Like, 
it's not going to keep up. He's got like a 3.5% walk rate, and he's got a, like a 481 BABIP. He's going to normalize eventually. But even when you look at what's going to happen when he normalizes, he still hits the ball incredibly hard. Uh, none of his homers have been cheapies. They've, they've almost all, aside from one, have been concentrated in left center to dead center field. And he's done a great job of adjusting mid at bat. Like that, that grand slam last night is, is no different. If you, if you guys watched it, then you saw, if you didn't see it, you saw him get, he missed a couple high fastballs. Uh, pitcher went with a slider or a curveball, a breaking ball, breaking down and away, tried to challenge him back up with a fastball high to get him again. And this time Austin was ready for it and had adjusted and mashed it like 438 feet. And that's a good trick. And you can tell in today's day and age of baseball, high fastball is now one of like the deadliest pitches in the game. So for a guy to get burned on it twice in the same at bat, then make the adjustment with two strikes and still hit it that far, it's a big deal. You can't throw him that that pitch right there. He's his start has been so reminiscent of Trevor Story, like where as soon as he comes up, he's seeing the the baseball like it's a beach ball, you know. And and you're right, th- this is not gonna stick. And he one of his I think he's walked twice, and one of those was an intentional walk. So his his real walk rate, his actual patience and plate discipline is is even worse than uh, worse than it appears. But he's still been incredibly serviceable. He's been he's been um, in in left field. I mean, as far as especially for a guy who has played um, who played four games before he came up, and he's manned the position. There there have been a couple of hiccups out there, but he just he looks like a third baseman who's playing left field right now. Which the trade off for the bat, you know, you take it every time. Yeah, absolutely take it every time. So loving what we're seeing from him, and I hope he just rides this and rides this and rides this as long as he can. I mean, I would love to see this continue. I mean, as long the the dude is on some sort of insane hot streak right now, I, I don't really want to see it end. But just be prepared for the people that start chanting that he sucks when it does eventually normalize. Uh, but but for now, there's not many people in all of baseball who are on the same type of of streak that Austin Riley is. Maybe Peter Alonso, who you know, he's about to get to like 20 homers before the All Star break, which. I didn't think was possible. Pretty rare bright spot for the Mets. That everything's kind of going wrong for them, and even even Edwin Diaz, who has been who was their their big offseason acquisition, they gave up a lot for him. They took on a lot of money for him, and and then he wound up giving up the only only out he got last night was the sack fly that scored the winning run after he gave up home runs to Jock Peterson and Max Muncy. And it's that's kind of been just the story of the Mets. It's everywhere you look, something something's going wrong. Degrom's not pitching like he was last year, and and uh, the bullpen's been awful, and everybody's still getting hurt out there. But you do have Pete Alonso, who has very much rewarded them for not playing the service time games. Yeah, it's totally amazing to me when you watch a guy like Alonso. Like, I'm starting to struggle with how you pitch that guy because like it, nothing seems to work. He'll he'll struggle for like a week, and pitchers like ah, finally I got it. I just need to throw him a slider down and away. And then randomly one day he's like, oh well, I'm just going to hit that out too. And they're back to throwing him fastballs up, and then he starts hitting those out again. It's a great time to be a young superstar player in the majors. And as much as we don't like the Mets, if you don't think that Peter Alonso is a superstar player, you are out of your mind. He's in that that same tier as like a like an Anthony Rendon, where when you when you have to face him, there's it's just nothing but respect for him. Like man, 
I wish this guy was on our team. He Alonzo doesn't have anywhere to play right. here, but 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 you know he what plays I mean. hitter. It's, it's just like, he just plays hitter. Yeah, exactly. Like th- that's the t- that's the type of guy that when the DH does wind up getting implemented in the NL, because it is going to happen sometime in the next couple years. You know that that's somebody that you start making fake trades for, and you you try and do everything you can. Interdivision trade for a guy like that who's going to want. I mean, Alonzo's going to hit forty this year, e- easy, and he could always hit when he was at Florida, but different different level. And the the fact that you can put Riley in that same category, just that lightning fast start, that really says a lot about what he's done. It does. They're pretty similar guys, other than the fact like they're they're about similar size, similar size, similar body shape. Riley's more athletic though, which is more fun to watch. Where Alonso is a bad defensive first baseman. He would be Matt Kemp levels of bad, maybe even Evan Gaddis levels of bad in left field, and you could never imagine him playing third. Austin Riley and and ever since and by the way, Andy Harris is the first person who came up with this comparison, not Chipper, Andy. But ever since that whole thing of, of calling him Troy Glaus, talking about Austin Riley, calling him Troy Glaus. There are so many parallels. Even just their batting stance, they look so similar. They do, and it's the that that body type, that that super barrel chested type. The funniest thing about Riley, it's it's not the power. We we knew that he was going to hit home runs if nothing else. Like even if he showed up and he's Adam Dunn hitting one ninety four with with forty home runs, you can see a scenario for that. And I haven't checked Baseball Savant today because I keep wanting to see like where. Um, once he qualifies, where he's going to be with hard hit rates and exit velocities and everything. But the only thing that they've got for him is sprint speed, and it's in the red. That's not the type of guy that you would think is, is going to be able to pick up any um, any momentum while he's running. I mean, even Ender, who was like a speed demon, was in the blue for most of the year. So. Hold up, hold up. Ender is not a speed demon. Ender is actually like one of the slowest members of the Braves. Oh, you know what I'm saying. If you want to say Max Freed, who, by the way, clocked a sprint speed of over 30. He did. And also, pinch hitter extraordinaire. Uh, he's, he was on base when Riley hit that grand slam last night. So uh, the answer is no. There's not anything Max Freed can't do except right. for beat the Nationals in 2019. I'm sorry. He's still going to have more opportunities, sir. But I, I, I want to get to Max Freed in a second. My last point on Austin Riley, when, uh, when, when you're talking about – when you're talking about what him and Gloss are, you know, there's a lot of people that are going to say Troy Gloss. A lot of people forget that Troy Gloss with the Angels was one of the premier power hitters in all of baseball. And it has a lot to do with that upright stance, that big barrel chested body, but it has a lot to do with their hands and the way they're able to keep the barrel in the zone for so long. And they've just got a, a great ability to barrel up balls. Austin Riley already has eight barrels on the season. That's insane. Yeah, Anaheim. Troy Glaus is way different from from the Troy Glaus that showed up in Atlanta. It's it's a similar uh, affliction to when Nick Markakis got here and everybody saw his, his first year and they're saying this guy sucks. Why did we sign him? They, they don't realize that he was a three hundred hitter who was hitting twenty twenty five home runs, driving in a hundred runs his early years in Baltimore. You know we we got kind of the not the shell of himself version, but we we didn't exactly get the the version of, <clears throat> of him that was. Uh, that was that good. We 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 have gotten uh, mid thirties Marquegas, as opposed to uh, as opposed to who he used to be. And a similar thing with Gloss. He was he was around for a very short period of time, but but he left a stamp. He was part of that really really good twenty ten team 
that wound up should that should have wound up going farther than they did. Yeah, and, and Gloss is a guy that, that just did a, a fantastic job. Had like a six war season at one point too. Uh, but I I do want to move this along because we uh, we're going to be stretched for time if we don't. Uh, so key point there: Austin Riley, good baseball player. Um, Max Freed, great baseball player, did not have it, and you touched on it there. But this is two starts in a row now where Max has has kind of ran out of gas in the fifth inning, uh, and, and it is. Substantially hotter now than it was early in the season, but two starts in a row where the fifth inning has done him in. He never really had it at all versus the Nationals. For most part of that game, they were babbipping him into death. They weren't hitting things particularly hard. They were just hitting them where you just couldn't get there. And then once you got to the fifth, you could tell that he was that he was just out of stamina. Uh, walks in a run, so they bring in Swarzak, who promptly walks in another run on four straight. Uh, but but for Freed. I, I don't want this to sound bad. I'm not going to be shocked if they if they skip a start for him soon. I think that they need to. I think they need to take a page out of Andy Green's book in San Diego and really monitor some of these guys. I'm not saying like move him back to the pin or anything or any nonsense like that. But the Padres have done that with Chris Paddock. They've done it with Matt Strom. They've done it with Eric Lauer. And they've done it with Nick Margavicious, where you just skip a start to give them a little bit of extra rest. Snicker's not real good at doing things that are not 100% traditional. But for Max to, to be Max Freed all year, I'd kind of like to see that happen relatively soon. It, it wouldn't surprise me. And, and like you said, it's been two starts in a row, and he just seemed uncharacteristically wild. You know, like most of the time, it kind of even if he misses, it still kind of looks like he's nibbling a little bit. But he was missing. He was missing bad. The, the curve just wasn't there, and... We knew that there was going to come a point where we talked about sustainability early in the season and when he went six perfect innings against the Cubs. Like, well, he's not going to do that every single time. But his numbers are starting to kind of trend in the wrong direction a little bit. So even if he does top out at 150 innings, then that's still pretty good for a guy who has never uh, gotten above 118 before. And Anthopoulos said and Snickers said as well, we're not going to put a hard innings cap on these guys. We're going to do post-start checkups on, on each of them. And the same thing is going to happen to Soroka eventually because these guys are still building up arm strength year, year over year. So if they wind up skipping a start, or maybe that they set it up as, as something where it's no matter what, it's going to be five innings no matter how you're doing. And you let somebody like Tukey or Nukem come in and close it down as opposed to Johnny Holstaffing the, the entire rest of the game. So, no, I, I think you could be onto something there, and I don't think it's a bad idea at all. No, I think your idea is probably a little bit better. Have a hard piggyback start where it doesn't matter how good he's going, there's going to be like a, a four innings and done. I might do four just to save another inning on that arm because Tuki and Nuke can cover. The thing is you've got you've to have a manager that's willing to do things like that. I figured at this point in the year that you would have seen more of that. We'll, we'll talk about it with Camargo and how it pertains to Johan Camargo in a little bit. But as far as introducing that into pitching staffs, we saw last year that the Braves employed a six-man rotation a fair amount, and it did wonders for the Braves. You haven't seen it at all this year. It's not that shocking when you consider that Kyle Wright and Bryce Wilson were not good as starters early this year. Uh, Newcomb was horrible as a starter, and Tukey has not been a good starter either. So they haven't had necessarily the uh, a reason to employ the six-man starter thing. But I do think that they would be remiss if they didn't take advantage of their ability to get guys rest 
without having to actually like IL them. And p- part of the reason I think too is because you had uh, you had Nuke firmly planted in the rotation, and you had Tuki, who was like basically a loaded gun at Gwinnett, and you could you could kind of rotate them back and forth. But both of those guys have, have been needed in the bullpen. I mean, they've they've been they with Webb and Luke Jackson have been about as good as you're going to wind up getting for out of this bullpen as it currently sits. So, and you look at AAA and who you can rotate out. Bryce Wilson has been better the last couple starts, but, I mean, he got shelled when he started against Philadelphia. Kyle Wright hasn't been himself. Colby Allard, who knows what's going on with Colby Allard right now. And then you've got Andre Santiago, who's, you know, who's, who's doing not necessarily mop-up duty, but he's just like, just keep us in the game. Basically, so they they also don't have quite as many options. So now that the trade deadline, now that there's only one trade deadline, we are basically at the exact midway point between opening day and the one July 31st trade deadline. So I wonder how aggressive teams are going to be, knowing that they're not going to be able to push it back to August 31st and get a Justin Verlander or any other big contract type of pitcher. Like it's July 31st or bust. I actually think that teams are going to be more aggressive this year than they will in the future just because it's the first year of the new thing. And I'm glad you brought that up because while you're never going to get me to ever admit that I don't have 100% confidence in Max Fried's perfection or that Soroka is like Canadian Jesus or that Fulte can turn it around, like I, I'm very confident in a lot of the starters. I do still think there's upgrades. I do still think that Gosman should be upgraded from. And it's not just because he had a bad start yesterday. Doc, you know my feelings on Gosman since the Braves acquired him. I was against the Braves acquiring him before they acquired him. Uh, I, I'm just not a particular fan of Gosman. I don't like having Gosman and Julio in the same rotation. I know Julio's been really good lately, and I know Gosman's had some good starts, but that's two guys that I don't really trust in big-time situations. So you start looking around the league. Uh, I've mentioned Mike Miner. I'm a big fan of Mike Miner. If the if the Rangers were to tank, then I think that's the guy that you'd target, but they seem to be doing pretty well this year. Um, Bumgarner's a guy that everybody talks about. I want no part of Bumgarner. But there is a guy coming up and a guy that you're going to see in person on Sunday. Matthew Boyd for the Tigers has been a revelation this year for a team that I believe is 21-42. and 42. Yeah, the the Tigers even even for being in just an abysmal division. I mean, they they really are just they're so far out of it. Like if the if next year's draft was today, the Tigers would pick like sixth, which actually I think is right around where they're they're picking this year too. So they are fifteen and a half games out in the division. And uh, let's see for the for the wild card. Yeah, they're six and a half games out there, but they're trending in the wrong direction. They don't they don't have the type of roster that can. That can hang with that. So they're going to have to start evaluating which pieces they can move that they can actually get something for. Like, you're not going to get something for Jordan Zimmerman. You're not going to wind up getting something for Miguel Cabrera. So Boyd is there. Between he and Green, those are the, the two pieces that, that they really have that they could turn in into a prospect. So ask me again after this Sunday what I think of Matt Boyd because he's – I mean, he's trending in the right direction. He's striking out 11 guys per nine. Uh, he's walking less than two per nine. His, his ERA is under three. His FIP is under three. He's got two and a half war through 12 starts. I mean, this is exactly what you want for a, uh, 
for a guy to step into your team. Like, th- this is why, like, teams that are rebuilding, this is the exact type of guy that they trade away. And I could be wrong, but I think Anthopoulos traded him away from the Blue Jays once. Like, wasn't he part of that David Price deal? I believe he was. He was drafted by the Blue Jays in 2013. Uh, what was he? Third round pick, I want to say. So yeah, uh, that that was so, in that was Anthopolis's reign over there. So yeah. kind of bring it full circle could be an interesting interesting target there. It would, it would cost in prospects for sure, but I mean, if you look at his numbers, he's he's absolutely going in the right direction with both the strikeouts and the walks. And I mean, you've got three years of control. He's just now getting into arbitration, so yes, it would cost. But the Tigers also have a garbage farm system aside from like Matt Manning and Casey Mize, like their their positions are completely bare, and Kristen Stewart is like their best position prospect. And I'm not certain he would be rated like in the twenties with Atlanta. He's uh he's one of those guys like he he's super athletic, but he doesn't really do anything very well. Uh kind of like Jacoby Jones. If you remember when Jacoby Jones first came up, it was like, hey man, this guy this guy's pretty big. He's got a lot of power. He just can't hit or field or throw or run. Um, <laughs> Other than that, he's great though. Looks good coming off the bus. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, right. you're, you're you're right. The Boyd the Boyd cost would be very expensive, but the Braves there's no doubt the Braves could pay it pretty easily. Um, it just not, depends on on what they're going to wind up asking for because because they do have Manning and they do have Mize and the, and those are two really good pitchers. But you're right about the position players, which tells me that they're going to ask for a Christian Pache or a Drew Waters or a William Contreras or somebody who's in that tier you know what I mean like they, they would probably wind up asking for one of the one of the top pitching prospects like an Ian Anderson type and and also wind up asking for Pache as well and well that's not going to happen but that brings yeah. me to, to 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 one of the players uh you, you start we all talk about Ender coming back and I, I do think you could work it out because I don't think the Braves are trading Pache or Waters or Contreras for anything uh at least not for a certifiable like super stud, um, and I don't think they would trade Pache and Waters. I think they would only trade one of them, and that depended on how they felt about Riley in the outfield or how they felt about some of the other guys. But you start looking at at guys like that. What I look for in a pitcher, everybody talks about ERA, everybody talks about FIP now, and those are those are numbers to look at. I'm not as big on ERA because there's a lot of flaws involved. But FIP is one that a lot of people talk about. I'm not as big into FIP as a lot of people. I prefer using Sierra, which if you're not familiar with what Sierra is, you're not alone. Um, Sierra is called Skill Interactive ERA. So basically the difference is ERA doesn't include like bad defense, essentially. So uh, a pitcher can can pitch very well and have a horrendous defense and his ERA is going to be through the roof. Or in the case of FIP, they don't consider balls in play. They'll consider home runs. They consider strikeouts. They consider walks, and that's what FIP is built off of. XFIP throws in was it a uh, averaging a ten percent fly ball per home run rate? I believe is XFIP. Uh, but Sierra, which is why I prefer this measure the most, includes the batted ball profile, so ground balls, fly balls, line drives. It includes the how hard they're hitting the ball and it incorporates all the contact percentage and it's park adjusted. So you can see a player that's pitching in Petco in San Diego 
and a guy pitching in New York. The guy in New York may have a 430 ERA. The guy in San Diego may have a 3-5. But the guy in New York may actually be pitching better. And the park has a lot to do with it. So if you guys hear me say Sierra, that's what I'm going to tend to put these things through. Matt Boyd with a 3-3-1 Sierra is outstanding. Essentially, you look at it like an ERA. Anything under 4 is good. Anything under 3-5 is really good. And anything under 3 is elite. So... Uh, I, I'm a big fan of that stat there. And, and I think that the Braves are definitely going to be making some sort of moves. We're not going to talk about the bullpen guys until Doc's, uh, till, till Doc's latest piece comes out. We'll talk about them next week, I'm sure. But one guy that I am going to say, and I'm sure that it's in your piece, Doc, and I don't mean to play spoiler, I am still a big believer that the Braves will be signing Craig Kimbrell next week. The, the article is going to wind up being about trade targets, so no worries. Kimbrell is not to, is not going to be mentioned in there, and, and he's he's just the elephant that's in the room. You know what I mean? Every every time something caves in, like uh, Dan Winkler gives up a three run home run to Paul DeJong, sign Craig Kimbrell. Dan Winkler comes in and gives up five runs in two thirds of an inning, sign Craig Kimbrell, and and it's I I certainly get it. And once the draft passes, like I've been vehement against the Kimbrell thing because I'm a huge draft nerd. And I, I want that pool money, and I, and I want that, that pick at 60. But as soon as the draft is over, sign him immediately. You know, like, he he's just kind of one of those guys that, even even if he's he's not performing at the time, then you definitely want to want to have him in there just because he's that name. You know, and uh, I, I still, I think it's going to happen, but the this is going to make people nauseous, and it, and it makes me kind of half sick to say it for... You look at the Phillies bullpen and Victor Arano and Adubre Ramos and Pat Neshek and David Robertson and Adam Morgan and all of them are some level of hurt. And they're they're pushing all their chips in for the trades that they made, the signings that they made. They are going for it. So I am really, really nervous that at some point next week after the draft is over, I am going to find out that the Phillies signed Craig Kimbrell and I'm going to have to go set something on fire. Yeah, if uh, if Craig Kimbrell doesn't end up with the Braves, I'm, I'll be very annoyed. I do still think that um, people that are expecting Craig Kimbrell to be Craig Kimbrell of old will be in for a very rude awakening. Uh, but just to turn to things that, that aren't so doom and gloom, there have been some really good signs this year. We talked about Tuki Toussaint earlier. He's been outstanding out of the bullpen, just like I thought he would be, and I still – maintain that that's where he will eventually end up down the road and he'll be the lockdown closer for the next 10 years. Uh, Sean Newcomb has been outstanding out of the bullpen. He's back to throwing 95-96 like, you know, a man instead of throwing 91 like a not man. But <laughs> just in the name of dialing in his control. I mean, last night, last night was the first time that he walked a guy since he became or since he got sent down to Gwinnett. We're talking three starts down there and nine relief appearances. And, like, I'm astonished when it happens. Like, and I was I was talking to, to friend of the program, jo- uh, Jordy Phillips, about this today. Like, when did Sean Newcomb become a control artist? You know? he's And it, you always knew that there was some possibility that he might not be able to figure out the walks as a starter and he could move to the bullpen. And now we're, and now we're kind of seeing why. He's been amazing out there. He really has, and it seems – I don't know if he's pissed off about it. If he's pissed off about it, I don't care as long as he continues pitching that way. Um, but it, it's good to see there, and it helps out the Braves when they need it most. I believe they used they, – I believe the Braves have used 19 different relievers this season, uh, which is an absurd number when you realize we're two months into the season 
and you've used like 19 relievers already. That's patently ridiculous. Uh, Jacob yeah. Jacob Webb, though, has been really, really good, and he's managed to avoid getting hurt, knock on wood, which is kind of the big thing with him. Luke Jackson has been good. Um, I struggle with Luke Jackson because he has been good. He hasn't been as good as most Braves fans say he has been. I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that he was so horrible last year that him being as good as he is this year makes him look like, you know, like Craig Kimbrell of old. He's been good. Um, he hasn't been like he hasn't been elite, I'll say, but he he's been very good and it's been very needed. So I'm very happy with him. Um, but aside from that, you start looking around. I, I still don't see a whole lot of options bullpen wise. So I'm really excited to read your article because I think I think that's really the big piece coming up. The other big piece that I feel like we have to mention, we're running out of time for today, but we do really need to mention this. There have been far too many people that are acting like this Josh Donaldson signing has been like the end of the world. People who want to claim that Josh has been horrible, uh, that he's been a garbage player, uh, that that he's the reason why the Braves couldn't fix their bullpen. It just sounds ridiculous. I, I When people want to make the argument that, you know, he was – 75% of the, the funds that were allocated in the offseason, I mean, that's that's not Josh Donaldson's fault. You know what I mean? And all he's done is show up and um, get more extra base hits than Ronald Acuna, have our higher OPS than Ronald Acuna, who everybody was just dubbing the future of the organization and the future of baseball like a couple of weeks ago. So, I mean, he hasn't even turned it on yet. You know what I mean? And he's been playing great defense at third. I know that, I know that people have a giant bone cone for Camargo. I get it. I'm sympathetic to it. But Josh Donaldson is a better player than Johan Camargo is, at least as far as being third base goes. Now, whether Camargo is like a flash in the pan, that really is, is kind of not really any, any of Josh Donaldson's business. It, it wasn't a bad signing. It's just one year. And people can mock the, oh, there's no such thing as a, as a bad one-year signing. There, there's really not, you know, and that... That is a really good deal. And the fact that we didn't, there was no draft compensation tied to him, anything like that, people just want to hate him. I don't know whether it's the mullet or the fact that he's uber cocky or what it is, but people are just determined that he is he is the worst. I like that you stole my word, bone cone. Uh, yep. as, as far as Camargo, though, that's, that's one piece. We'll talk on Camargo another week because we just don't have a, enough time to talk about him this, this episode. I do think there's mitigating factors to Camargo's slow start. Uh, I'm also very tired of, of of people implying that Camargo has been just a flash in the pan type of luck to this point. Nothing about Camargo's season a year ago was luck. He had a 315 BABIP. Everything about his his profile last season showed that it was for real. His first time up was 100% BABIP field because he had a BABIP of like 387. Last year, you saw what kind of player he is. There's a In my mind, there's a distinct reason why he's playing as bad as he is. We'll talk about that next week. I'm sorry to have to tease you guys. But the Donaldson thing, it's coming down to like this idea that twenty three million that for twenty three million you have to be an MVP level player. Twenty three million seems like a lot to you and me, but in the grand scheme of a lot of baseball players, that's not that insane. Like Josh Donaldson is a former MVP. Twenty three million is is not is not that crazy. Uh, and besides the fact that he's actually been very good, if you look beyond things like you know, batting average. If you look at other things, you'll see he's been good. Even if he's not going to be a 35 homer guy, which I think those days for him are done. I think 22 to 25 is what 
you're looking at when he turns it on. I think that's just who he is at this point. Uh, he's, he's older now. His legs aren't as good as they were, so I do think it's going to sap some of his power. But he's an amazing defender. Uh, when he gets hold of him, he does well, but he hits a lot of extra base hits, and he does a good job doing what he does. And it's one year, totally aside from the fact that anybody that thinks that Josh Donaldson signing is what stopped the Braves from from signing relievers didn't pay enough attention. The Braves signed Josh Donaldson for $23 million. After signing Josh Donaldson, they were still under the cap from where they were a season ago. So that had literally nothing to do with signing or not signing relievers. That's just something that Alex and the Braves decided not to do because they were only offering one-year deals. I'm, I'm not sure why they didn't want to commit. You'd have to talk to Alex about that. Uh, we can discuss whether that was the right or wrong idea. But this idea that Donaldson is the one that somehow kept the Braves from going out and getting a reliever is just is just wrong. And I can also see a scenario right now, like third base, long term, that's Austin Riley's home. But you could also see a scenario where next year Riley stays in the outfield and Donaldson comes back. You know, I, I'm not completely writing that off until he goes and signs with somebody else. So, I, and I'm not recommending it or predicting that by any means, but I would not be surprised to see Josh Donaldson back for a second year. So if you hate him now, you're really going to hate him next year. So you might want to just get used to it. Maybe. I'm just speaking hypotheticals here. But I mean, am I completely off base there? I mean, could you see that happening? Maybe. I think it's going to depend on how his season ends. I think the Braves, because they had a, they had a, a Liberty Media had a sale uh, something in the battery that netted like $56 million for one season. So they had extra money to play with this season that they won't have next year. So I think that contributed to the $23 million. Um, I think it all depends on how Donaldson plays, to be quite honest. I, I don't know. I wouldn't be against it. I mean, if Riley shows that he can handle left field and he's not going to destroy Ronald Acuna, then sure. I mean, <laughs> I'm never going to complain about having more good players. It's just, you know, yeah. you talk about Camargo, I just don't, you know, I he gets lost in the shuffle a little bit, and there, there's other reasons besides the fact of just saying that, oh, well, see, I told you Camargo wasn't good because I didn't know his name three years ago. Like, there, there's other explanations. There's other reasons why things happen. We'll cover that later. But with about 10 minutes left to go, we promised Boggy that we would talk about this. So the draft is next week. Uh, we've talked about it a little bit before. There have been a lot of names being ran around for the Braves. There have been a lot of projections. So we're just going to take our best guesses at 9 and 21. Doc, why don't you start us off? If you had to hang a guess, who's your pick at 9? If I had to guess right now, I mean, the first six picks are pretty much locked in. So the odds of somebody like Andrew Vaughn falling to the Braves or, or certainly Adley Rushman, I mean, that's, that's just not going to wind up happening. Um, if I had to guess right now, I, I've got to got down to two different guys. One of them is a high school outfielder by the name of Corbin Carroll, uh, who's from uh, Washington State. Lefty, lefty. Um, there's a little bit of Andrew Benintendi in there. Just, just that's kind of an easy comp because he's a small guy who the power is going to wind up coming later. But I pretty much elite field to hit, and uh, if it. They don't wind up going that direction. I could see them going with a, a prep righty named Matthew Allen. Uh, Allen apparently has kind of high bonus demands, but the Braves have, have two uh, two first-round picks this year. So 
slot for the for the first pick is five million dollars, and I think that they could easily cover what they're looking for. You know, this organization loves high upside uh, prep righties, so I think that could be a really good direction to go. It wouldn't surprise me if if they go the the college route for a guy like Jackson Rutledge or Alec Manoa. But last last year we talked about this at the time a little bit about just after the international sanctions and it wiped out that the, what you refer to as the the third wave of prospects and there's like this this big gap you know so instead of drafting a bunch of young players that could kind of fill in right there they drafted a bunch of college guys take for instance Justin Dean who we we just wound up interviewing earlier today and and Trey Harris and Andrew Moritz and, and all and all these guys. So there's still kind of that gap there, and I wonder if this is the year that they they wind up trying to fill in that kind of wave. And guys like Corbin Carroll, guys like Matthew Allen would fit right there in that. And that's that's for the ninth pick. For for 21, I wonder if they would wind up going a, a similar direction. Uh, Brennan Malone is, is another right-handed prep picture, pitcher who has kind of been described as like the perfect intersection of current polish and velocity and mechanics. I mean, he's... He's touching high 90s right right now at, at age 18. Um, it, not quite as hard as Daniel Espino, who's who's an, another uh, another option right there. But I, I could see them going a, a little bit younger uh, in this draft for nine and 21. So, and I know that you've got some some specific targets that you're interested in as well. So, uh, how do you think they're going to go? I agree at number nine. I think. I think Corbin Carroll is a real contender. I don't see him mocked there as much. Uh, depending on how much Dana Brown influenced this draft and how much Brian Bridges left behind, Nick Lodolo is a prime target. Uh, we know from last year when, when we asked Brian if he was looking at anybody for 2019, Nick Lodolo's name came up. Really, for me, it's Hunter Bishop. I know he's kind of he's fallen off a little bit towards the end of the year, but you look at that profile, six five two fifteen, uh, looks just like Christian Yelich at the at the plate. He's got a ton of power. He's got really about four and a half tools. Uh, I think if, if Hunter Bishop is there at nine, there's there's really not a, a way that you could avoid him. You'd also because he's a senior, you'd still probably get him under slot, which would help at twenty one. Um, twenty one is a little bit different. That's where I would lean towards prep whether it's if brett Beatty falls uh if brett Beatty were to fall to 21 he'd be scooped up i don't think he falls that far but we've seen weirder things happen we saw it happen with nolan gorman we saw it happen with peter alonzo uh if bigger guys that hit a lot of homers but aren't set in a position they tend to fall on draft day uh if Beatty falls he'll get snatched up there brandon malone is a really good choice there too um also i i I think Brendan Malone would be a better choice than Daniel Espino. I like Espino a lot. He throws really, really hard. I think Brendan Malone is farther along as far as I can see. I can see that Brendan Malone is is a is a real pitcher, and I know Espino can throw hard. Um, I'm just not quite as sold on him at this moment, and it's way too early to say that, really. But if you were to ask me to, to take a bet on one of the two. I would take a bet on Brennan Malone. No, and and I, I see what you mean about Espino. I mean, and he's his mechanics they really stand out because of how low he gets in his crouch. Like I don't think I've seen another pitcher get that low. And he's he's deriving so much power and velocity out of his legs that when you look at prep righties that are throwing as hard as he is cuz he's touching 98 99 
but when you look at Riley Pint, you look at Tyler Kolek, you look at Hunter Green, and all of these guys have have struggled. I think I'm Riley Pint's still in low A, and he got drafted three years ago. Tyler Kolek hasn't thrown a, a real competitive pitch in a long time, and Hunter Green's out with Tommy John right now. I mean, there are risks to, to topping out with that level of velo when you're that young. But it's different a little bit for Espino because it's it's not so much his arm as much as it is his legs. But, but yeah, Malone's just got a little more polish and they're really inconsistent reports on Espino. And I know Matt Powers of Talking Chop, who is who knows more about the draft than maybe anybody I know, um, he just loves Espino and swears that he swears that it's different. So um, let me just put it this way: I'm leaning Malone, but if the Braves took Espino. It would not break my heart at all because he's he's got some special stuff. We're talking like striking out sixteen over six innings type stuff. So, but beyond nine and twenty one, man, I got no idea. I got no idea which direction they're gonna go. Um, it's it's gonna be weird not having Brian around. Brian, we miss you. Miss you very much. We're gonna know very soon just how in depth he is with San Francisco's draft as they pick right after the Braves. We'll see. Uh, we'll see who they scoop up there. Uh, Hopefully I can get in touch with Brian and get some thoughts on some of these guys coming up here real quick. But as it is, we are dangerously up against the time clock that we had to set for today. Uh, so sorry we couldn't go any deeper into it. Obviously, we will cover it next week. I believe we have a very, very special guest joining us next week on the show as well. So to all of you out there, thank you guys so much. You know where to follow us. You know where to contact us. Let us know how you like the show. Drop a line for the TPS hotline, whatever it is. Thank you guys so much for listening to us. Makes makes our day, makes our week, really. Thank you guys so much. We'll catch you next week right here on the Platinum Sombrero. Thanks, bye. Some people just know there's a better way to do things, like bundling your home and auto insurance with Allstate, or hiring someone to move your piano instead of doing it yourself. So do things the better way. Bundle home and auto and save up to 25% with Allstate. Bundled savings vary by state and are not available in every state. Saving up to 25% is the countrywide average of the maximum available savings off the home policy. All state vehicle and property insurance company and affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois.